Come on. Well, I'm Lifeblood. This is George G, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Pete Millington. Pete, are you ready to do this? I am, George. All right, let's go. Pete is a CFA. He is the founder and chief technology officer of Scientific Financial Systems, Inc. They're an organization working to advance the state of the art of data science, big data, machine learning, and asset management. Pete, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Thank you. Grew up in Texas, studied engineering, um, did undergrad down in Texas, and came up here to the Boston area. Um, to study aerospace engineering, actually, at the time. And after I graduated, I went into the defense industry for, for a few years. Um, but uh, I was actually doing some work in, um, in neural networks and, and uh, AI at the time uh, and just started reading more and more about what was going on in finance, particularly the application of AI and, 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 and that to the finance in the, in the late 80s and early 90s. Um, and it was very fascinating to me. So I ended up kind of doing a career change um, moved into a finance in the mid '90s. Uh, was hired over at Fidelity Investments as what we call a quant, which um, you know we apply kind of uh, algorithms and statistics and you know data analysis to the markets. Um, there's a great kind of um, career move. I've really enjoyed that. Um, I was there for 17 years, um, doing kind of that that sort of application. Kind of started as an analyst. Kind of went into a fund manager. So I ran various strategies using quantitative techniques and became a director of research. So I managed a group of people that were doing this, uh, managing kind of, you know, multi, multiple billions of dollars, um, ran a hedge fund for a few years, kind of started this firm, uh, Scientific Financial Systems, um, about four years ago to bring these techniques to the broader industry, as I felt like a lot of these people do things in-house, but um, but it's very time consuming to do that. So I uh, wanted to kind of make uh, a contribution to the industry as a whole, based on my experiences and bringing these capabilities and making them easier to embrace and let people focus more on creativity aspect of, of running money. Excellent. So bringing these technologies to the broader industry, let them focus on the creative parts. So what, what are these techniques and capabilities? So generally speaking, you know, there's a lot of data and it's, it's very time consuming to bring the data together and to sort of uh, apply some analysis. And, you know, that's unfortunately takes a lot of the time, whereas really people need to be focusing on developing the algorithms, exploring the data, understanding and hypothesizing about how the markets work and also thinking about and learning from what the markets are doing. So, um, you know, it's really a, a balance, but at the same time, you know, the, the implementation, the technology can kind of take on a life of its own. But so ultimately, you need to find time to to interact with the markets and to think about what's driving the markets. Um, so so really, it's about like applying data science techniques, applying machine learning techniques, but in a creative way where you're bringing your ideas um, to bear. And the ideas are coming from, you know, your intimate interaction with the markets as a fund manager living in day, you know, breathing that on a daily basis, the ups and downs and thinking about why is my fund going up today or down today? And, you know, is there something I missed? And if there is something I missed, how do I capture that? How do I explore with the data to, to capture and understand the markets better and continually expand kind of your, your, your mental model of how the markets work. That's fascinating. So how many, 
like when, when, when you're saying this, it sort of makes sense, but how many data points are we talking about? Is that even the right question? What? <laughs> it's, it's one of those things that, um, you know, as information has exploded over the last, you know, 15, 20 years, you know, it's just become such so overwhelming. And one of the trends actually is that quantitative investing has become a very dominant force in the industry. And it makes sense because it's very, very difficult for humans qualitatively to, you know, consume all that information and react quickly, right? So people have embraced, um, you know, machine algorithms and that sort of thing to, to assist. And it's almost as if, you know, the firms that don't do that, you know, are it's hard to compete nowadays. So that's kind of the evolution of it. But with respect to, you know, how much data it's, there's so much data out there, you know, traditionally it was kind of getting the filings that companies are required, public com companies are required to kind of publish their, you know, annual and quarterly returns, you know, by, you know, regulations and across the globe. And you collect that, you know, get the pricing data from the exchanges. Um, you see what the Wall Street analysts are doing. But now there's so many other data sources out there, what we call alternative data, consumer data, like consumer credit card data, which, you know, provides a lot of insights as to what's going on, what are, what are consumers doing, give you a heads up. You used to be, you'd have to wait till the end of the month and get a government report to say, you know, what's happening with, you know, oil inventories or whatever it is. But nowadays there's so much information, you can actually get it almost in real time, you know, are, are you know, people starting to pare back their, their spending and what does that mean for certain stocks? You can actually get it, you know, even intraday sometimes. And, you know, that's where a lot of a lot of firms have embraced that, you know, to actually give them a leg up. And so, you know, it used to be you'd have to wait for data. Now you can go out and like get a lot of data. But, you know, with respect to how much data, there's huge amounts of data, petabytes, petabytes of data nowadays. And people are using these techniques that actually can can process and, you know, these huge amounts of data. So it's very exciting, all the things that are happening. It's an escalation, you know, of technology at the end of the day. Yeah, a petabyte. <laughs> people, do people really know what that is, Pete? <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's, um, it's, you know, it's, uh, what is it? thousand, you know, billion bytes. So it's, uh, you know, it, it's, and, and that's becoming a lot more commonplace. It used to be, you know, a few decades ago, that was just a crazy thing, but that's becoming so common nowadays. And, you know, but firms are investing in a big way in their data, their data infrastructures, and they pay, you know, the, um, their, their talent a lot, you know, to, to cultivate these skills, you know, so there's a huge amount of money being invested actually. No, it, it makes a lot of sense in the world. So, uh, I'm just trying to trying to understand. So, if if I'm a financial firm and 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 I'm 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 running a mutual fund, and so we are trying to make good decisions so that we can get great returns for our clients, so that more people invest, I can work with your company. And essentially, if I said, okay, here's the info I really want to be tracking, and you can maybe give me like a dashboard that I can look at. Exactly. Or, you know, what we also do is we provide the tools to the to our customers, right? So they can be creative, but we we take away all the kind of time consuming, you know, operational stuff, bringing the data together, merging the data, cleaning the data, you know, productionalizing all of that. That is just kind of distractions away from let's actually build a strategy, right? So what we what we do is actually provide tools to help people streamline and work more efficiently so that they can focus their energy on actually uh, implementing, experimenting, you know, um, you know, and, and kind of exploring the data, you know, so, so really they, 
our, our customers, they still take an active role in, in designing and, and learning and, and implementing. We just give them the tools to do it more efficiently and more quickly. But at the end of the day, we're not doing it for them. You know, we're helping them to, to, to focus on where they can add value and, and not on all the distracting things that come along with, you know, the operational aspects of actually um, getting all the machinery to work. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that makes, it makes a ton of sense. Um, are, do you think that we're going to get to a point where it will like just, just whatever the term is where a robot can just be, just do it better than a human being interacting with a robot? Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of going to evolve. And I think um, it's probably going to evolve in a way that it's not kind of a, you know, human and machine and, you know, eventually, you know, the machines take over, it's going to be kind of this melding and, you know, augmented, you know, intelligence or um, such that, you know, the, the firms and the individuals that kind of embrace that, you know, ability to become more competitive through these techniques are going to excel or, you know, dominate, you know, their, their businesses. And so I think it's going to happen in a way that's not kind of the way people originally think of, you know, man and machine kind of coming, you know, competing head to head and somebody's going to come out the winner. It's going to, we're going to become more melded together with respect to, you know, information, helping you make better decisions and then AI helping you to make better decisions. And at some point, you know, where do we fit into, you know, the, the thought process and it's going to become very nebulous, but yes, I, I do think that it's already happened. And I think the, um, the financial industry has always been an industry that um, has been on the cutting edge of, of the application of technology, just because there's so much opportunity in being kind of in the forefront. Um, and so, so there's always been, I think, early adoption of, of new, technologies in finance. And one of the challenges or one of the um, interesting points about the financial industry is that people are very secretive because whatever they're doing, they don't want to share with their competitors and they, you know, don't say it publicly. So it's, it's not always easy to even know where the state of the art is in the financial industry, because there's so much secrecy around what you're, you know, what people are doing. But I do believe, you know, there's actually a, you know, very extensive use of AI and machine learning nowadays and investing. How do you feel about surprises, Peter? How, 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 how often are you surprised? <laughs> In general? Um, yes. And then with your work. It's an interesting question. It happens, right? And I think as a, as an entrepreneur and, and, you know, I, I try to cultivate, you know, my creative side, but at the same time, you, you know, if you take on something that's challenging, you need to stay focused. And, and, you know, so finding that balance of actually um, being, you know, having some sort of determinism to work through things, but to keep an open mind about maybe the way you're going about it is not necessarily the, the best or the only way, right. And finding that balance because, at some point, you can't just think you have to do, but you don't want to do kind of exclusively with tunnel vision. So, you know, I think, um, you know, so sometimes we think about, well, what is the industry doing? And, you know, are, are there other, you know, individuals out there we can learn from? And, 
And, you know, if, if you do that too much, you don't actually, you know, move your agenda forward. But if, you know, you do have to stop sometimes. So, yeah, I think sometimes I have a conversation with someone and they're like, oh, I didn't think about, you know, that way. Um, so I think it's keeping an open mind, making time to actually speak and learn. And, you know, yes, you, you know, you are surprised sometimes. It's like, I didn't know this, you know, this capability was already that far developed or didn't know this individual was doing this. And, you know, so, you know, I think making time to learn and, um, you know, read and, and, um, and, and speak with, you know, people to, to learn from them, I think is, and I do get surprised, you know, uh, and, and it is a function of how much time I make for that, you know, so it's a great question. So, yeah. In terms of how much time you make for things, how, how do you think about prioritization? Yeah, I think it's uh, at the end of the day, you have to you have to kind of have a sense of what you're trying to accomplish and what's going to be involved and, you know, how much time it's going to take and make sure that what you're doing is is actually going to be worth the effort. Right. Um, And that's not always that clear. So you have to think through um, things and just try to make sure that you're finding the best way to be creative, be yourself, right? Bring kind of your skills to the table, but keep an open mind, right? So um, I, I think it's it, it's it's not an easy thing to do, you know? So for example, I, um, I don't always, I'm not always on my phone, you know, um, on the internet, you know, I try to make time to, to think through um, some of the things that I'm, that I'm doing um, because ultimately I think, um, the creative end of things is very important. And I think sometimes that's lost when there's so many distractions going on. Um, there's so much today that's barraging you on a daily basis. And, uh, so you have to make time to stay focused, you know, if you can, um, in terms of like, I, I, I am a major proponent of doing what you've just described and my, I probably, I have like a, a fraction of a petabyte worth of processing power in, in uh, my brain. <laughs> so I need to be very judicious with what information I'm letting in and what I'm thinking about because I just, I only have so much. And so that's a challenge for, I think all human beings right now and for, for, for your systems and for a financial firm, how do I know whether I need to now be taking into consideration what's happening in Ukraine and how that's going to impact Germany and everything else? Is that, how are you thinking about that? Yeah, I think there's traditional ways to go about it, but I think at the end of the day, the way different dynamics affect the markets, um, it's not always clear the supply chain, you know, which link through in ways that aren't immediately obvious. Um, you know, I, I think well, sometimes in the markets, we, we use some techniques, for example, principal components, which basically show you which influences are, are affecting what stocks. And, you know, you, you can kind of see patterns as to how a certain event is affecting certain, you know, aspects of the market and how you can capitalize on that and learn from it. It's like, why is the Ukraine event affecting these industries in this way, right? At the end of the day, you know, it's a balancing act between 
letting the data show you where and how things are being affected, but also making sure you have a theory or, or a thesis as to how that makes sense to you and that you'll be willing to invest a certain way. So, you know, I think you have to go beyond just, you know, the, the classical approaches about, you know, um, countries and regions and, and, you know, because now all the industries are interconnected. So, so there are techniques out there, I guess, um, to say that you can learn how these linkages, you know, affect themselves. And there are, there are kind of, um, there are kind of what we call factors that play out that you can exploit and capitalize on that are not immediately obvious and will show up in the data. And they are, they do relate back to, you know, geopolitical events, right. But not always in the way that you might've traditionally thought. Right. Um, so because where the opportunities sometimes are are the more subtle things, right. The obvious kind of traditional things, you know, have, you know, have and will be, you know, exploited uh, and the opportunities are mitigated in larger cases, but it's where the more subtle, like secondary and tertiary effects of those things. So, you know, so there, are, they, there is the way that plays out, but there also is a way that, you know, these techniques can look at the data and learn ways to capital on those sort of things that are not the traditional way. Right. Fascinating. That's why there's quantitative and qualitative. That's right. That's right. It's interesting. Yeah. And so, which actually is, is one of the interesting areas that, you know, um, that I, I've enjoyed working within is, is, you know, the traditional fundamental approach to investing and the newer, you know, technical quantitative approach and actually finding a way to bring those together, you know, because ultimately both sides can learn. And when they interact, you know, you can actually come up with something that's more creative and that's not easy, easy to do that. It's not easy firms to have, have the capabilities on both sides, but that's right. But there will be kind of a way to actually bring those together into a, a better comprehensive view. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's super interesting and I'm also super grateful that there are folks like you, Pete, who actually understand and can marshal all of this information and uh, and present it to people and make it show them how to potentially make it usable. What they do with it, I guess that that is out of your hands, but that's the idea. <laughs> well, one of the things, one of the reasons why I ended up going this direction career-wise was, um, you know, um, I, I thought about like in, in academia, when you do a PhD thesis, something like that, very intricate work, you become an expert on a particular space. And, and sometimes you're looking for a problem to showcase, you know, your idea. And sometimes the, the showcase you're choosing is not that applicable to many different, you know, um, you know, use cases or people's kind of lives. And so, you know, a lot of times you have these people making great contributions, but on a problem that is very kind of limited in scope, right? But in the financial domain, if you can be creative, right? And you can work with all these really interesting techniques and, you know, enjoy the creative process, solve a problem that people ultimately will care about, right? If you can do something that is, um, is impactful and creative in the financial markets, it, that is a solution that people are interested in. So that's one of the reasons why I ended up kind of going down this path of the application of technology to the financial markets, because it actually is a, it's a problem that's challenging and it's really intellectually enjoyable to work with 
just the the, the talent and the you know um, the, the the people that are in that space. But if you can bring something to bear, um, there's so much interest and applicability uh, to actually run with that, right? So that's actually been really enjoyable as far as the career path goes. I love it. That makes a ton of sense. Well, Pete, people are ready for that difference-making tip. What do you have for them? Well, a couple of things. So one is, you know, as an entrepreneur, I've really enjoyed this path. It's, you know, um, it's not always easy, but it's uh, it's very rewarding. So, you know, I would encourage people as they go through their lives. And, you know, I'm in my 50s now. So um, keep an open mind and, and look for opportunities to be yourself and find ways to, um, to leverage who you are and what you bring, you know, to... Um, to the world. I think that's one area, you know, with respect to actually investing itself, you know, we actually apply these advanced techniques. You know, if there are people out there that have an interest in that from a career perspective or actually doing it themselves, if you're technically, uh, you know, inclined, you can actually do a lot of these techniques yourself. There's a lot of data sets out there that are readily available, um, but there's also a lot of financial products out there that leverage what we do. And I would recommend that people, you know, um, make that part of their portfolio to, to have some exposure and, and uh, in their individual investing to these techniques. You know, some examples might be, you know, there's um, a technique that came out, um, you know, um, fairly recently, it was something called fundamental indexing, where, you know, you're running money and you're doing it systematically, but you're actually using fundamental concepts, which is a lot of kind of the, some of the things that I've done as well. So there are financial products out there like that. I would encourage people to look, look into um, and make it part of their investment portfolio. So, well, I think that that is great stuff. That definitely gets come on, Pete. Thank you so much for coming on. Where can people thank learn you. more about you? How can they engage with you? Thanks, George. I appreciate the opportunity to speak today. Um, so, our firm, Scientific Financial Systems, our website is siphonsys.com. There's a lot of information there that talks about the product and our team, what we're doing in the space. We're happy to speak to um, to anybody that might be interested in looking at our products or learning about what we do. I'm very excited to have a chance to share that with you today. So thank you so much for your time. Yeah, it was a pleasure. If you enjoyed this much as I did, show Pete your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Check out what he's working on at scifinsys.com. Is that S-C-I-F-I-N-S-Y-S, Pete? That's right. Excellent. Thanks, George. Perfect. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together.